You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Good morning in Focus Church. Glad to be with you today here in person. For those of you who are with us online, uh, thank you for joining us. I look forward to a time where we can all feel a little bit more safe uh, and, and actually be more safe where we are all who want to can gather together in this place. Now, I acknowledge there are people that are watching us that would not ever be here no matter what because they're in another city, another state, uh, another country even. Uh, we got a word from a friend that there was a friend of his watching in Korea and then another was watching in Hawaii and so we, we don't expect you all to be here unless you ever visit Augusta or something for masters maybe you're come and join us on a Sunday because nobody else does so um, you could be here on master Sunday with us but uh, we were grateful that you're watching and that you're with us today we're in week five of our series that we're doing with all of our every nation churches all over the world we're in doing this series in conjunction with one another in our series called awesome God we're looking at the different names of God, the names that that God describes himself as in the word of God and how by knowing his name we get to know his character better. We get to know God more intimately. He has a name and we need to use it. He has a name beyond just a a God up there somewhere. He has a, a name that we get to know his character better. We get to know him better and the best way that we cultivate that knowledge of him is through his word, the Bible. So I want to encourage you to continue to spend time in the word of God. This is the written word of God. And when we spend time in God's written word, we get to know him more. And the the more you know God, the more you love God and the more you trust God. And the more you love and trust God, the more you want to know God. And then the more you know, see how it just continues to work and feed off of itself as you continue to dig into the word of God. That's why spending time in the Bible matters. It is the written word of God. It makes us more familiar with his being, his personality, his attributes, his character. And most importantly, it leads us to the living word of God, which is Jesus Christ. We know him through his word. So I want to start this morning a little bit differently than I've started the previous weeks. And what I mean by that is I want to uh, give you the name that we're going to talk about before we read the text. Our text is actually going to be Genesis 35. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis 28, 29, 30. All the way. I'm not going to read all of that. You can calm down. But I, our main text is Genesis 35. So if you want to turn there uh, and put your thumb there, you can. But I want to tell you up front the name that we're going to be looking at the name of God that we're going to be talking about. Thus far, we've talked about a few different ones. El Roy, a few weeks ago, that's the God who sees. God sees you where you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter if you think nobody else does, and maybe nobody else does, but God sees you where you are. That's the God he is. That's his name, God who sees. He's also Jehovah Jireh. We talked about that. That means he's a God who is our provider. Kevin talked about that so well just a moment ago. God is your provider. He doesn't just see you where you are and say, well, you're on your own. No, he sees the provision that you need in your life. He sees it before you ever do. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. But God already sees the provision that he has for you because he's Jehovah Jireh. 
Now, I'm going to date myself, uh, but that's okay. Most of you know that I'm not young. Uh, but I grew up in the era of Christian, contemporary Christian music where it was Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, and uh, Amy Grant. Those were just a few uh, names. And, and these were artists that, that I listened to and actually sang their songs. I would sing with my sister and my mom and, and we would sing places. I actually found a, or my mother was texting me that she had found a tape. That's a little thing that you listen to music on and what's called a tape recorder. And so she found a tape of the last concert that we ever did together as mom and sister and brother and it was like 1991 and so as, as she's telling me about that I, I was remembering some of the songs we sang one of the songs my sister sang was El Shaddai which was by Amy Grant very popular how many of you know the song El Shaddai okay I'm sorry no it's a, it's a great song it's a great song it's uh but I guarantee you that the uh Hebrew words were butchered by millions of people all over the world as they tried to sing this song and they were looking it up this was before Google so you couldn't Google, how do you pronounce Urkham Kana or whatever that other was in there, right? Uh, and so I don't know, but El Shaddai is actually how you pronounce that. And that's the name that we're looking at today, El Shaddai. Uh, and it is a Hebrew word that is found more than any other uh, uh, names of God in the Bible. And it means God Almighty, God Almighty. Most frequently appearing name of God in the Bible. Maybe a better foundational meaning of El Shaddai would be the overpowerer which emphasizes God's power to achieve all of his purposes. The Lord's strength is what it's saying. It's absolutely what? It's perfect. It cannot be increased. It cannot be diminished. Ultimately, it is impossible for anyone or anything to keep God from accomplishing his sovereign plan for the world. That's how mighty God is. He is more than able, if we think about this, to overpower whatever has tried to overpower you. And that's exciting. He's the overpower. He's almighty God. That's why I love Psalm 113 or 115.3. And it says this, our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Like we like to say that, I'll do whatever I want to. Maybe you've said, I'll do whatever I, I'll do whatever I please. And really that's not true. Like you really can't do whatever you please, although we like to say that, but God can. He's that mighty. I'm not, he is. But along with this unmatched, unrivaled might, there is also a tenderness that is denoted in this particular Hebrew name. That's why we well, say, so why do we talk about Hebrew words and Greek words? Because there's so much more rich imagery, imagery and, and definition than we can actually get out of our English word for the same thing. But this denotes strength and tenderness. El is a short, shortened version of Elohim. Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh. We talked about all of those, right? They mean God's strength and they convey his might and his excellence. But shad is the Hebrew root word for breast. And here's why that matters. Shaddai pictures God's fullness of bounty, his tenderness, his generosity, his desire to nurture us like a mother would nurture her child in order for us to be fruitful and grow. So what you get in this is the might of God coupled with the tenderness of God. It's just a powerful name. Think about my grandfather on my mom's side of the family and we called him Pop Pop. And he was about six foot one before he got old and started to bend over. And then he was about 5'11". But he was about 6'1". And, and he was the most tender person. 
But at the same time, as a little boy looking up to my tall grandfather, and he seems so big and he seems so strong. And, and that's what I think. But if he put his hand on you, you could feel the strength. He worked the railroad, right? And you could feel the strength in his hands, but yet it was something tender about it. And, and to an even greater degree, that is what we're going to see in God's name, El Shaddai. That's who he is, and that's who he wants to be with you, that he would lead your life with intention and might and ultimate kindness. He's that loving. So let's go back to our biblical story about Jacob. We're going to look at Genesis 35, as I said, but first, have you ever, let me ask you a question, have you ever broken something that didn't belong to you and you really, really, really wanted to try and fix it before anybody found out? Right, only Pastor Robert's raising his hand. The rest of you are just bald-faced liars, all right? We've all done it. And de de depending on, like, in some cases, like a relationship with your, your spouse, like in my house, I want to try to fix broken things. My wife says, throw it away, let's just buy a new one, right? Okay, I don't know how many else are like that, but that's how it goes down in our family. Like, look, where's the super glue? Where's the Gorilla Glue? Where's the duct tape? We can fix this. Like there's these little Christmas figurines that we put out every year from these little houses. I can't tell you how many of their arms and heads have been broken off and I'm like, we're not buying another one. I don't even know if you can buy it. Give me the super glue. Or we just put them up there and they don't have an arm or a head. That's just how it goes. Because if you notice, when you try to fix things without somebody finding out, usually what you do is you make it worse. Like you break it worse. You mess it up even more. When we try to fix broken things in our lives, if we convey that into our lives, it's actually we end up messing things up more. Let me give you another example. For those of you who have had goldfish for pets, because it's the gateway pet for pets, right? We start with goldfish, and then we'll look to see if something else, and then we'll get messier and bigger and more expensive until one day you give in and you buy a camel. I don't know, but you start with a goldfish. So all of us have done this, at least I have, I'm confessing, where goldfish number one is swimming down the big sewage pipe in the sky. And you have secretly put goldfish two in Junior's little aquarium and he doesn't know. Oh, he's still, look, he's still living. Yeah, he is, baby. He sure is. There's an amazing little goldfish right there. I read a story, I don't know if it's true or not, about this older woman who thought she had like a world record for the longest living goldfish like 17 years or something, I can't remember how, it was just crazy, like no way. Come to find out it, it wasn't. It was that her kids had kept replacing the goldfish every time it died, and she just thought this goldfish was just living. Like, I've got a Guinness Book of World Records goldfish here. Nope, you've just got lying children. <laughs> just like parents do these things, just me. So please forgive me. But what if your life is what we're talking about? What if it's the, your life that's broken and your life that's messed up and it's your life like you feel like you've literally flushed down the toilet and, and, and what we're going to read is the conclusion of this story of Jacob, the climax, if you will, of his story who had made such a mess of his life, such a mess of things that he really needed a do-over. He really needed to start over. He needed a new life. He wasn't gonna be able to fix what was broken. It was unfixable and maybe that's what you feel right now, that you've got kind of an unfixable life or an unfixable problem. Problem. But here's the deal with Jacob. He was going to try to fix things himself, but the problem with that was wherever he went, there he was. 
I can't tell you how many times I've sat talking to people or even talking to myself about certain things that are going on and they're trying to run away from their problems. Well, if I could just leave this and if I could go there and if I could do this. And here's what I often have to say. It's like, listen, if you don't deal with what God's trying to deal with right here, the problem is, is wherever you go, you're going. And you're going to encounter it again. So how do you start yourself over? How does a person start themselves over? And what made it worse for this guy Jacob was that his very name told a story about him and defined him in a way that he almost like he didn't have a chance to live any differently. Maybe, let me just say this up front, and I believe there is some words that God wants to speak to many of you in different spaces, but maybe someone like your father or your mother or someone in your life that had some sort of influence gave you a name early on and called you some things early on, and it's almost like you didn't have a chance to be who God had called you to be. But God met Jacob in the middle of his mess, and he made him a promise just like he does for us today. So let's start in Genesis chapter 35, verse nine. God appeared to Jacob again. This wasn't the first time that God had appeared to Jacob. So it says he appeared to him again. I love that, because God keeps coming. He's always the one seeking. He's always the one coming after us again and again. When he came from Padam, Padam Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. But Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. To, he called him what? To be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, his father, his grandfather, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Now maybe... This morning, you can understand why if you ever drive around, particularly places where there's a lot of small churches or rural churches, it doesn't have to be a small church, that so many churches have this name, Bethel. Why? It means house of the Lord, God's home. And what we see in this story is that it is possible for God to give you a new start, just like he did Jacob. It is a reminder of what Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, when he said, there are some things that are impossible for man to do. He can't fix, he can't make it right, but what is impossible for man is possible for God. To get a new start. Jacob needed a new start. He needed a do-over, if you will. He needed to flush the past life down that toilet, if you will, and he needed to give himself, he needed to receive from God a new life. God, could you do that for me? And maybe you feel that way. Life is broken. Life is messed up. It's jagged up. I can't fix it. I can't make it better. As a matter of fact, every time I try to make it better, I make it worse. And like Jacob, you need God to step into your mess and remind you of his promise. And here's the deal. He can and he will because he is God Almighty El Shaddai. Our past does not define us, but we serve an almighty God who defines our future. Matter of fact, you can say it this way. God comes into the middle of our messed up lives and gives us brand new lives. That's the God that we serve. So to better understand how messed up things were for Jacob, because you might sit there and say, well, 
Can't be as messed up as my life. Oh, it could be. Jacob had a messed up life because of a lot of his own bad decisions. And this is very pertinent to our own lives because we need to go back to some of Jacob's previous struggles up to this point to see how messed up his life really was. So this is where I'm going to kind of rewind a little bit, go backwards. You can read this story later. I'd encourage you to do so. Genesis 28, 29, all those chapters up to today's verse, which is in chapter 35. But what we'll see is we'll see that Jacob's struggles were in essence between the promises of God and his family position in life. It's really the same struggle that a lot of us deal with. There's a, a promise of God that we can have and that we can walk into. But oftentimes we struggle with our position in life, which is actually opposed to the promise of God. So here's what it says. Jacob struggles, as we read this story, started really, really early. Like before he was born early, like in the womb early. The Bible says that he and his brother Esau were in a wrestling match inside of his mom's belly. Like now, if you're a woman in here who's carried a child and you felt a child kick before, that's one thing. But like she's carrying twins and it was so bizarre as to what was going on inside of her that she said, I got to go inquire of the Lord what is going on in my stomach. Like there's a wrestling match going on in here. And she went and inquired of the Lord, what's going on? And basically the word of the Lord to her was, well, well you're going to have two sons, but the older is going to serve the younger. The older is going to serve the younger. And that was totally different than how things worked in society and in a culture. But throughout much of his life, there was this duel going on for the prophetic word about who God said he was going to be and the actual position that he was in. Again, same for us. The truth of who God says you are according to, your, to his word and the actual position that you find yourself in today are oftentimes at odds. He was a twin and his brother Esau was born first. But the prophetic word given to his mom, Rebecca, was that the elder would serve the younger, but that's not how culture worked. Culture and society said that no, it was the older that got most of the inheritance and it was the younger brothers that served the older brothers. But guess what? God's kingdom norm and humanity's cultural norm are rarely the same. Watch this, because this was actually not abnormal for God's economy. Because Cain, what? Had to serve Abel. Abel took precedence over Cain. Abraham of Nahor and Haran. Isaac of Ishmael. And later on, Judah of Reuben. And David of all of his brothers, right? You maybe remember he paraded out all the older brothers, all the stronger brothers, all the better quote-unquote looking brothers to what they thought would be the king. It was like, no, it's none of them. There's got to be more. Well, there's, there's the youngest, but that wouldn't make any sense, right? He's supposed to serve his older brothers. It's got to be the older brother. But what we're reminded of from Matthew 20 is that the last shall be first and the first will be last. This is an important theme, truth, kingdom reality here. Very simply that that which man esteems is never God's choice. Man's best and God's best are a very different order. A different ilk, a different makeup. No, because just as they said, David, you look at the outside. You look at what makes sense on the outside, and God looks at the heart. So let's keep going because there was conflict following his life. You see, the given name for Jacob was heel grabber. Why? Because when he was born, Esau was born first, and Jacob was holding on to his heel. They're still wrestling. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out first. I'm going to get this birthright. That's what the prophetic word about me was, is that you were going to serve me. 
It also meant deceiver because he was the one who deceived his brother out of his birthright, deceived his father out of giving his, the blessing to Esau and giving it to him instead. He was a deceiver. And now all of a sudden, heel grabber, deceiver, that's his name. And you could see the prophetic word spoken over him was now competing with what other people thought about him and even what he began to think about himself and how he began to live his life. This is no different for you and I today, my friends. From birth, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has a name that he wants to call you, and it's son, and it's daughter, and it's one who belongs to him. He's given you a name and a purpose to bring him glory, but there are voices that hate God and anything that God loves that vie for your heart and your mind's attention. Those competing voices will be the exact opposite of your true calling, and if you listen to them long enough, you'll start to believe them and start fulfilling these predictive words about who you are by what other people say instead of God's divine purpose for who he says that you are. Oh, she's that. Oh, she's always that way. Oh, he's, that's, that's just who he is. She's that. He's that. He's controlling. She's manipulative. They never listen. He never does that. She never does that. Whatever it is. And honestly, what you will often be called and accused of by others is in direct opposition to your God-given strength and gift. It's like somebody would say, I don't know, uh, Pastor Robert is so grumpy. He's just the grumpiest guy. You can't even talk to him. He's just grumpy. But if you say it long enough and other people begin to believe it, and other people begin to relate to him that way, then all of a sudden people are believing a lie because this is the exact opposite of who he really is. He's encouraging, he's joyful, he's always smiling. But it doesn't matter who he really is in God if you believe the lie that's been said long enough by somebody else. And that could relate to your own life or could relate to somebody else's life. And I'm just shooting it straight. Some of you have believed the accusations of the accuser of God's people, and that's the devil, for so long that you've been stripped of your true birthright. And I want you to know this, that El Shaddai, God Almighty, who is both mighty and kind and tender, is able to fulfill his promise on your life. It doesn't matter your birth order, your birth place, your birth background, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter about any of that. God is not bound by any of those things Christ's supremacy is above all of those things and for those who will surrender to Jesus Christ his purpose cannot be thwarted because we serve a God who is almighty and everything that he is going to do he will do now the other problem about Jacob was that he had this ungodly pressure to try to make God's promises come to pass in his own manipulative way like he knew what was said about him but he knew his position in life didn't match up. So he's like, well, then I'm going to try to change that. Like, I wasn't born first, so I'm going to steal the birthright. I wasn't born first, so I'm going to steal the blessing. He didn't allow God to make him who he called him. He tried to make himself that way in his own manipulative, lying, wrong way. It's kind of what I think about sometimes, not nearly as, as big of a deal, obviously, as this, but I always think about first round draft, I'm talking about overall first round draft choices in basketball or football and the amount of pressure that they're under to be known as living up to what they got drafted as and not a flop. Like you'll have the greatest flops in NFL draft history, the greatest flops in NBA draft history. 
It's like this pressure, I gotta make it happen. And sometimes the pressure is so much that it crushes them and they never live up to how good they really are. I doubt there was actually one person drafted first that wasn't really, really good. They just couldn't deal with it trying to do it themselves. The pressure got to them. In the same way with Jacob, he tried to make it happen himself. So remember this story in context is for the benefit of the people of Israel. He's writing to the people of Israel. The writer is, right? The immediate audience for this story is being written for them. Why? Because they're living in the wilderness with promises from God, but they're struggling to trust God and experience the reality of those promises. They're supposed to be in the promised land, but they're not. So here's this God, prophetic word, this promise, but they're in a position that says completely otherwise. So he's telling them this story. So they go back and forth as a people, sometimes thinking their methods are better than God's and making it more worse. And Moses is trying to record this story for them about their great, great, great grandfather so they can hear and know that their struggle is not new. Just like you and I today, fast forward to us. Do we struggle to trust God to do things his way and in his time in our lives? Yes. So what we do is we go to God's word and we remind ourselves that my great, 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 great times whatever great grandfather had the same thing happen in his life and God can do the same thing for me that he did for Jacob, that he did for the people of Israel and that he's done for everyone that has called on his name since. Why? Because he's El Shaddai, God Almighty. you have to trust him. Do you know what God does to people who struggle to trust him? He smites them. Just kidding. (laughs) I got y'all. I got y'all. Y'all just make sure you're awake because it's super quiet. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't ignore us until we come groveling back and like, I told you you'd be back here. That may be how we respond to things. But that's not how El Shaddai responds to things. You knew, I had the, you knew I had the power. That's why you came back. That's not God. Here's what he does. He helps us. When we don't trust God, he doesn't scold us for not trusting him. He helps us trust him. In Genesis 28, that's what I said, we'll back up a little bit. You don't have to turn there. Jacob is running away, afraid for his life because of the things that he has done. All the lying that he did to his blind father. Like, who lies to your blind father? Who does that? Somebody wants to steal the blessing. This is what I'm supposed to be. I guess the only way I'm going to be able to get it is if I steal it. He's running from his brother Esau because he's really messed him up and Esau wants to kill him. And he's looking to start over. He's looking to get a new start. And God sees Jacob's struggle because he's a God who sees, right, El Roy. And he comes down to meet him because he's Jehovah Jireh and he's got provision for him. And his provision is what we know as Jacob's ladder where there's this connection between heaven and earth. And he's allowing Jacob to see that connection and he speaks to him. In Genesis 28, 15, he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Man, that's a good one. I'm not going to leave you until I've done everything that I said I was going to do. It should sound real familiar to what Jesus has promised us. See, God's words are the promise of the blessing given to Jacob's family line and the promise of God's presence with Jacob to be with him, to watch over him, to take care of him, to never leave him. El Shaddai, God Almighty, stepped down into Jacob's struggle and his mess and with his tenderness and might coupled together, offered his presence and he offered his help. You can trust me. 
Aren't you glad that you serve an almighty God who is at the same time tender and kind and steps down into your struggles and offers to help you? Things didn't go perfectly from here on out, but I don't have time to go over all of that. There was a little marriage snafu with Jacob and Rachel and Leah. You can read about that. And he worked like seven years for Laban, and that was the girl's dad, and he thought he was going to get Rachel, and instead he's like, no, nah, you're going to get my older daughter. Nobody wants her, so you're going to get her first. Something like that. It's like, but if you want Rachel, then you're going to have to work another seven years. Oh, my goodness. So that was one little, it just wasn't easy for him. God, hey, God, are you sure you're with me? Because this doesn't seem like you're with me. Like I said, he had problems with Esau. He later had a wrestling match with God himself. So Jacob had struggles. But because of God's affirmation that he was going to be with him and never leave him and he was going to fulfill his promise, Jacob was different. He'd been changed. He stopped the manipulation. He stopped trying to do things in his own strength. He stopped wrestling with other people and he actually began to wrestle with God. And I like to think about it not like he's wrestling with God, trying to get God to change his name, but he's wrestling with what God's doing in his life. Wouldn't you want to wrestle? I want to wrestle with God in my life. I don't want to wrestle without him. I don't want to wrestle people. I want God to be in control of my life. And all I can think about is sometimes, like with my kids, particularly my little boys, you know, when they were younger, not now they're big and tall, but, but now, you know, when they're younger, maybe Zano right now, we're trying to wrestle, and all I do is, like, I'm not really doing a lot. I'm just holding on to them while they're trying to wrestle away from me. And that's how I view God with us. He's not having to do a whole lot to wrestle with you, my friends. He's just trying to hold on to you so you won't let go of him. That's wrestling with God. And this time, Jacob took his fear straight to God, praying out of his fear and asking God to save him. And he came out of that moment with a new strategy, a strategy to be a blessing instead of trying to steal the blessing in his own manipulative way. No, God, I'm gonna receive the blessing from you instead of try to take it. So here's what happens in our text in, in Genesis 35, and I'll begin to draw this to a close. In preacher speak, that's like you'll be here another 30 minutes. God told him, but you won't feel like it. God told him to go back to Bethel. God said, go back to Bethel. Go back to the place of one of your biggest failures so I can remind you again that because I am God Almighty, your past does not define you. I define you. And for several years, Jacob had lingered about 30 miles away from Bethel and he paid dearly for his disobedience. But now the Lord spoke to him and told him to move to Bethel and settle down there. Why? Because that was the Lord's home, and that was Jacob's home. Jacob already knew that Bethel was God's appointed place for him and his family, but he'd been slow to obey. You know why? Because it was a difficult place the first time he was there. He was in trouble. He was in distress. But yet God's glory met him there, and that's why he called that place Bethel. Do you know that a lot of times in your life, the place where you see God's glory most is in the place that is the most difficult for you? That's where God's glory shows up the most, in the most difficult of places. That's why we oftentimes don't see the glory of God, because we don't like to go to the difficult place. Like, I don't want to go back there. And this is what Jacob did. He goes, how about I get close? How about I get close to that difficult conversation? How about I get close to that pain? How about I get close to that place where I failed before? And it says about 30 miles. And this is what we do. It's like, it's like a little kid. It's like, well, I can see it. I'm close. Isn't that close enough? I'm going to build my church over here. No, I want you to go home. I want you to go to Bethel. I want you to go home, Jacob. And Jacob even built an altar and had a name for this place. And God's like, no, 
That's not the place. I need you to obey and I need you to go home. And it was this same place where Jacob saw God's glory. He met God there. He named it Bethel, the house of God. My question for you is, where's your Bethel right now? Where's that place of difficulty that you don't want to go back to, but you know the last time you were there, God was gracious and he was kind and he was mighty and he was powerful. His glory showed up, but you don't want to do it again. I don't want to go back to that situation. I don't want to go into that situation, God, and God saying, nope, this is where you're supposed to go. Sometimes it's even as a church family. You're like, well, look, maybe if I just, maybe if I just go to church kind of close to in focus, that would be close enough. And maybe God's saying, no, 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 I want you to go back into that situation. I want you to go back home. Where's your Bethel? Where's God calling you to go back to and do it God's way and trust in him and stop trying to do it your manipulative way? Some of you are trying to set up camp in a place God never intended you to live. It's close. It's close enough to feel kind of right. But it's not. It's not home. Look back at the text. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. God appeared to Jacob. He blessed him. He changed his name. He gave him a purpose that was legitimate and well beyond what Jacob could have manipulated himself into in his own strength. But Jacob had to follow God's plan. He had to lay down his struggle to do things his way and walk with God, even if he was wrestling with God. He had to trust God instead. Jacob was gone for 20 years, learning to trade in his struggles with human beings to learning to trust God no matter what. And God transformed Jacob's struggles in life into a life that had a legacy well beyond him. From this point on, God began to be called the God of Abraham and not just Isaac, but now the God of Jacob. That's what we call him today. A legacy well beyond what Jacob could have ever stolen or manipulated himself into. See, God's offer to us is the same today. Same as his promise to Jacob, but first we have to turn to God, lay down our own lives, lay down our own agenda, say yes to following him in his way, and then we can have forgiveness through repentance and confession, and we can have a new start. Praise God, we can start over. How many of us are like Jacob? We grow up under the assumption about who we are. Somebody has an assumption or calls us something that, that we're really not. Having our desires in our soul and our hopes for our life matched with insecurities and frustrations and accusations. And we're trying to find our way. We're trying to make things work out in our own strength. We want the blessing of God. We want the life that pleases him. And yet we're not seeing how it's going to happen. And then we mess it up along the way. How many of us wonder, I don't know, can I, can I get a new start? Jacob's story matches our own in many ways, especially the promise that God Almighty will enter into your struggle, give you a new start, turn your life into a life that has a purpose to fulfill God's mission and to not just receive blessing, but to be a blessing. How do I know? Because Jesus Christ, God Almighty, stepped into the struggle and the mess of our lives in the earth as he came as a tender and kind and yet mighty little baby to make a promise a reality for all who would call on his mighty name and guess what he did buy you a new life 
He said, well, let's just glue this back on to Brent's, let's glue Brent's head back on. Let's put his arm back on with a little bit of super glue. No, he paid for with his own blood, a new life, a new name, and a new future. That's what Jesus did. And like Jacob, we are offered this same promise of God Almighty, El Shaddai, the God over the whole world has made it possible for his presence to be with us, to never leave us, to bring us his blessing so that we can bless others and have an eternal impact as his church. But we have to say yes. We have to give him our struggle. We have to stop living life on our own terms. We stop wrestling with people and we start living a life wrestling with God until he changes us into exactly who he wants us to be. Legit closing scripture. New Testament, quoting from Deuteronomy 31.6, the author of Hebrews restates the promise of God's eternal presence with believers. When in Hebrews 13.5 it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Same promise that he gave to Jacob. The promise is preceded by a command that says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. A little bit of what Kevin talked about a moment ago, saying instead of trusting in ourselves, in our riches, in our material goods, in our own strength, in our own manipulations, in the way we do things, that will, that which will ultimately fail, we as believers should place our hope in a God who promises that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Christ affirmed that, that the comfort of the Holy Spirit would be with his followers always in John 14. Also, Jesus told his disciples that he would be with them in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to the very end of the age. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. The God who promised to never leave Jacob is the same God Almighty who says he will never leave you as believers today. He will be with you always to fulfill his purpose and his plan and who he says that you are in your life. And what's amazing about that is he does it not just with might and power, but with kindness and love. <laughs> we serve an awesome God. Let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.